Welcome to the conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. In this episode, the conversation is about planning and designing great communities with a focus on promoting healthy, active lifestyles through changes to policies and the built environment. Quality Improvement Specialist Don Gettinger leads a conversation with Pete Fritz, the Healthy Communities Planner with the Indiana Department of Health's Division of Nutrition and Physical Activity, and Dr. Lynn A. Witte, a pulmonologist and adjunct clinical assistant professor of medicine at the Indiana University School of Medicine. Now, let's get this conversation started. Welcome and thank you for joining QSource Conversation Podcast. My name is Don Gettinger with QSource. I'm a quality improvement advisor and happy to be here today with our two guests. On today's podcast, we're joined by Dr. Lynn Witte and by Peter Fritz. Dr. Lynn A. Witte is a board-certified pulmonologist who currently serves as the medical director for Healthy Lifestyles and as the outreach coordinator for IU School of Medicine in Muncie, Indiana. Yes, hi, Don. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. One of my interests is doing outreach in the park, and I think that's how I came into this panel. And it's very exciting for me to be able to talk about some of the things we have coming up. So thank you. Pete Fritz is the Healthy Communities Planner with the Indiana Department of Health and the Division of Nutrition and Physical Activity. He has a passion for working with project stakeholders and planning and designing great communities with a focus on promoting healthy and active lifestyles through changes to policies and the built environment. He uses his background in community planning, landscape architecture, and public health working in both the public and private sectors and is a graduate of Ball State University with bachelor's degrees in landscape architecture and environmental design. Welcome, Pete, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Don. I appreciate it. This is really fun to talk about this topic. Uh, it's, it's an interesting convergence of public health and park planning and design that I've had throughout my career, so um, it's, it's really fun to explore these issues. So, Pete, we'll start with you. Talk to a little bit about park planning and design. What is it about living near to a park that, um, or having a park accessible that can make you healthier? There's an increasing body of evidence um, that, and research that's been coming forth, especially in the last 10 years or so, that's really starting to um, prove the case that the closer you live to parks and greenways, places where you can be physically active, and uh, the better access you have to those places, the better health outcomes that people have. And I know that uh, Indiana University and and others have have done research on this, um, and it's becoming very apparent the effect that these these parks and open spaces have on community health. Parks foster uh, mental and spiritual health as well. I think we've we've all felt this, especially during the pandemic, and we've seen this where people really have had a desire to get out into public open spaces and walk and be outside and get out of their homes. Things like forest bathing, which pretty heavily researched as as showing to decrease blood pressure and have other positive effects in just walking through green spaces. So these things are really becoming well understood 
by um, both the medical community and the planning and design communities. And parks also contribute to biodiversity and environmental quality, things like air quality and water quality that directly affect our health. And for children especially, uh, access to nature helps foster development skills that they may not learn in other ways. And this is was coined by Robert Louv in, in, in his book about nature deficit disorder. And uh, you can do some research, start to see how parks and public open space can really help children in their uh, cognitive and development as they grow. I think that brings us pretty closely into the question I wanted to ask to you, Dr. Witte. What other healthy uses are there for parks? I started working as faculty and then doing outreach to try and really get to the people that we needed to help in the community. A park is a great place for families to get together, partly for communities to get together. Um, There's a big social aspect to it. There obviously, as Peter mentioned, there's a mental health, behavior health improvement just by being outside. We all know when the sun shines, we all feel a little bit better. And that was one of the problems with COVID is even though we said you can go outside, people were afraid to go outside. And so they still miss some of that outside time. So as we're opening things up a bit, parks are perfect because people that are still a little bit hesitant can get out. But we do things at outreach events. A lot of times we'll line them up with uh, food pantry giveaways, and that's a perfect time to teach people how to cook some of the food that they're getting. They may not know what to do with. And, you know, we always try and stack those boxes with things with vegetables and fruits and different kinds of meats. So nutrition opportunities are great. Um, I actually do some cooking demonstrations where they sample healthy food and say, eh, maybe that's not too bad. And we can try and cook some into picking up some of the recipes or watching what we do and learn some good techniques microwave and fast food drive-throughs are uh, obviously what we're trying to get away from. And so these small little uh, changes can help. I frequently do health fairs uh, along the same lines. You don't want to forget kids have baseball and soccer, but you want to add in some, some adult wellness programs like cheer yoga or some just deep breathing exercises or a little bit of meditation. So some of those things are, are really important. And I can talk a little bit later about our adult wellness program where we're instituting all kinds of different opportunities. And if it rains, we have a large cabin we can use, but boy, if we can get outside in the park, we will do that. Just knowing that there are lots of opportunities. Sometimes people are surprised what we can do in a park and that's even more fun. There's a lot of truth there. I'm, I'm a very common park user and I have seen a huge increase in the number of people in our local community parks really taking advantage of the, the public space that, that we have there. And then Pete, that brings me back to something you were talking about a little bit about you know, how there are some things that a community can do to make it easier and safer to access a park, either by walking, rolling or bicycling. So what, what kind of things can communities do to make parks more accessible? There has has been a, a movement recently called the Safe Routes Movement, um, and this this really involves. Um, it started with Safe Routes to School, but now has evolved to Safe Routes to Destinations. Certainly, parks are one of those destinations that this approach addresses. It's the idea that we can um, really start to plan, analyze, and build 
safer access to parks and public open spaces to make it easier for people to access these places in an active way. And many times this really doesn't happen by itself, especially in urban areas and, and many rural small towns. We've found that our parks and public open spaces are many times surrounded or defined by busy streets, state highways that have multiple lanes of traffic and possibly even high speed traffic. These create real barriers for people to access these parks by walking and biking. And many times the only way to get to these places is by driving, which really defeats the purpose of these parks as being destinations for physical activity. So this idea of um, creating safe routes to parks and open spaces tries to break down those barriers and find out, well, how can we make it easier for adults and children to access these destinations? There's very much a community of practice around this work. Certainly the Safe Routes Partnership, which is a national not-for-profit, has a lot of information on their website about how to plan and design safe routes to parks, as well as the National Recreation and Park Association. They're actively promoting safe routes to parks as they do as a national not-for-profit. Here in Indiana and, and the work that I've been doing, the State Health Department, we really are trying to make it easier and safer to go through these barriers and access streets. We do this through um, various techniques to calm traffic, slow traffic around parks in a similar way that we do it around schools and have school zones. You can approach slowing traffic around parks in a similar way, but also putting in safe crosswalks as well as um, signage and things like that. So the traveling public, people driving vehicles will know that this is a place where children and, and adults are trying to cross to this park destination and they really need to slow down. You can also design parks right from the beginning to make it easier to walk, bike, and be active in them. Having destinations and places where people want to walk and bike to within the parks are really important. And again, those things don't happen by themselves. They are need to be deliberate, as was mentioned earlier, need to be programmed as well and have activities and events that attract people to walk, roll, and bike to the parks. Thinking of my favorite local park, there's it's at a pretty busy intersection and traffic is always an issue. So really important aspect when we bring this, talking about access to our parks and making sure we have safe routes and access to our parks. So I appreciate that. We're going to take a short break here and just have a message from one of our community partners. Hoosiers want their communities to be healthy, thriving, and active places, yet almost a third of Indiana residents are not physically active. Creating places to be active is one way to make healthy communities and support active living. It's about including activity in your daily routines. Try a walk to school, work, or your transit stop, or ride a bike to run an errand. There are lots of options out there for every season. To learn more, visit the Indiana Department of Health Division of Nutrition and Physical Activity at in.gov health DNPA. Active living is for everyone. Let's get moving, Indiana. And welcome back. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Lynn Witte and with Pete Fritz about healthcare and the impact of parks and healthy lifestyles in our environment. Pete, you mentioned how this can be designed into when you're developing a new park and you can design the safety into the process. Dr. Whitty, I know you are actually working on developing a new neighborhood park. 
What are some of the things that are important for you to consider when you're evaluating what that should look like? I went into this project telling them straight off, this is not my area of expertise. I was passionate about the project, and so they kept me on. One of the things we, uh, Neighborhood Association, purchased a middle school's track and field area. Uh, the way we're laid out in Muncie is the neighborhoods are fairly spread apart, but there are some that are close together. Sometimes traveling, have to hop in a car to get to a park isn't the most optimal. So we have a property and really looking at it, but we actually found out there was an easement to our Cardinal Greenway that was an overgrown lot as far as we knew. Working with this as a starting point connected three neighborhoods, and we were very excited about that. And so that was a great starting point for us, knowing that we actually could join neighborhoods without them having to drive. And we did also want to make sure that we have enough parking for those people that did have to drive into the area. But the other thing we wanted to do, and, and not just in the neighborhood it was in, but the neighborhoods that it would be connecting what those neighborhoods needed or wanted. Needs were very important, but wants were also very important. Taking a look at what each of the areas required and, and what age groups would be involved. And, and it turns out really that there wasn't a meeting place in the area that would hold uh, very many people at all. There were no picnic tables uh, surrounding a playground that it, they had gotten from a grant several years ago, but that also need renovated. Looking at picnic tables for families and grills, um, and they thought, you know, wow, we've never had that. And then looking at some fitness parameters, we had a track that had been overgrown. You couldn't even see it. So what could we do with that track and also make it fun, make sure there was shade at each end of the track with overhanging trees so it wasn't all sunlit. And then in between age groups, what sports would the kids like? Can't have a whole set of basketball courts, but a basketball court would be amazing because they didn't have anything. Have room for a, a half a soccer field, uh, have room for a baseball diamond, but also what was available within a drive? Was there something that was already feasible for someone else to do that we couldn't do? We also talked to Muncie Sports Commission and what would they think would benefit different age groups. And so really looking at the different perspectives of all the age groups. And, and we also came up with just a meeting place where we could have an adjustable, whether or not it was stage or covered overhang, where people could gather. And if we did have a little stage, could we have a school program outside instead of inside? And this would be a great place to have a program and then let the kids play. Line of sight is important. You always have to think about security, as Peter mentioned. Security getting there and security in the parks, people have to be, feel safe. So whether or not lighting was going to be required and just taking a look at neighborhood security across the board, that people were going to be able to feel safe going there, depending on where they are. There are situations throughout all areas of communities. And so that was another big project to take a look at. What more could you do if we did have a community area to meet? And again, I'm all about health fairs, one thing to do. And the other thing we started uh, as a community garden, getting people in and getting fresh food. This one neighborhood is in a food desert. Um, so what would the neighbors cook? And then what could we teach them to cook if they were so inclined to do so? 
So there's really been lots of thoughts. I've reached out to many people. There's an outdoor lab in Daleville uh, behind the high school that's just a fascinating place that had lots of ideas. Then beautification of the park area itself. We've actually talked about reaching out about just beautification of the park. It's been an educational stepping block for me as well, but very fascinating. And, and I envy Peter's position to do that all the time. I'm more health-related and how can I improve people's health while, while trying to get them outside, get a little extra vitamin D and sunshine and a few extra smiles is a big benefit as well. That's a great point. I mean, I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast um, and, and interested in community health are maybe in the healthcare professions. We've already addressed how parks can affect general health. But Pete, I think you had some things to say about how parks can even affect health equity or health disparities, maybe even especially in rural areas. Yes. And first, I want to comment on, on the work that Dr. Witte's doing. It, it, it's, you're doing the right things. I really like how you've been working with stakeholders, and that's part of really addressing the issue of equity in, in park development and planning and design. This has been part of park planning for a long time, but I think now, especially during COVID, we've seen the populations that have suffered under health disparities to higher levels because of any number of issues that they're dealing with parks can play a role in addressing these issues. Certainly outreach programs in parks for populations experiencing health disparities are really important. And Dr. Witte mentioned that. Issues of providing say summer food distribution and access programs, very specific outdoor activity areas that are programmed into parks to get children and adults out and moving are, are really important and can start to address low levels of physical activity that are surrounding many of our parklands around Indiana. These things don't happen by themselves. And really thinking strategically about, well, where are these uh, pockets of health disparities in your community? And then looking at those parklands that are near them and using parklands as health, public health interventions can really start to be an effective way to address these issues. Even things that we may not think of, such as outdoor reading programs or story paths, which are really interesting kind of interventions where parks partner with libraries that can also partner uh, even with public health agencies to provide interesting ways for families and children to get out, walk along a trail and read a book while they're doing it, combining multiple activities um, that can help both our minds and our bodies at the same time. Even things like health screenings and nutrition education can occur within park settings because many times these parks are embedded in these neighborhoods or these areas uh, that have, they're experiencing health disparities and it's just a logical place for these things to happen because people are already going to the parks. And certainly we're seeing more and more um, really interesting non-traditional partnerships that I mentioned that occur in parklands. We've been doing active living workshops around the state as part of our outreach program for the state health department and where we get multiple partners in a room and invariably we find people that have lived in the same community their whole lives but really haven't thought about how they can partner together to create better health outcomes and we've seen 
organizations such as local and regional hospitals partner with YMCAs and parks departments to do programming in the parks, or even public improvements like trailheads to make it easier for people to get on a trail and go to another park along a trail and be active. And many times, all it takes is a little a, a convening to bring these groups together to brainstorm about ways that they can work together to really start to make change in their community. And I know that from what Dr. Witte has said, she's really experiencing this already and having parks to be the kind of way to bring these diverse groups together and to brainstorm to come up with new ideas in park programming and design. I think parks are even more important in low-income areas where children and adults may have limited access to um, places to be active. They may not have a backyard, as there are in some areas where people have large backyards or private spaces to be active. So parks become even more important in those places where people just don't have access to public open space to be active. There's a couple follow-ups I want to ask you both. I think there's a growing understanding that healthcare does not just happen inside the walls of the hospital or the doctor's office really have effective health care in our communities, we need to, to definitely get beyond the walls of those traditional healthcare settings. I'm interested actually to hear both of your perspectives on how if a healthcare setting like a hospital or a medical group was interested in getting more involved in this in their community, what should their first steps be? Who should they reach out to? And what kind of things should they be thinking about as they start that journey? Several of the people in our community Health systems are very actively trying to get in a community. And I can tell you as a physician who really now I do public health more than anything is getting to where people need you. And so if you're uh, someone in a community that says, I think we need to start uh, some programs like this, certainly Peter's organization, it sounds like a great place to start. I happen to know a lot of people in the community, and then I went and introduced myself to the Parks and Recreation Department, and we have been putting on several adult wellness programs in the park that are just a variety of topics that are different, but they're all really held in areas that people find it more difficult to get to or maybe don't have those nice, big, safe backyards to play in for their kids. We're going to start a walking program which is pretty easy. And we're going to rotate through all the parks in Muncie that have different histories to them, as well as the surrounding neighborhoods. And people start to relate more to, wow, that's a, I, I didn't know that about this part of Muncie. And we're going to do a different park every time we meet and have a guest walker. If there is a group in your community that is interested, you can start with a health health system, you can start with the Chamber of Commerce, you can start with the Parks Department, or look up advertisements for what's going on with kids or adults programs, find someone who's interested, or, you know, I think any of us that do this would welcome a call to talk about how we got started in this just took the time to meet people and find out who was invested. We have a Healthy Community Alliance here. That's a tri-county area alliance that is all about exercise and nutrition, as well as the healthy lifestyle system at Ball State that is free to everyone in the community. It's a little known fact, but we are free to everyone in the community and focus on those things and tobacco cessation. And we love getting involved in projects. 
you can find a health-related organization, approach them. We have lots of people calling us, and, and I'd love to talk to them uh, about that. And so that's a good start. But Peter sounds like his group is reaching out into communities. Health organizations are a really great start, but the Parks and Rec Department are a really great start. And ours is very, very active in the health and wellness of our community. Sure. Yeah, there are a couple ideas um, that I've seen around the state in our work around creating these partnerships uh, in parks. One I think is really interesting is, is a program called Walk with a Doc. This is actually a national not-for-profit that began in Ohio in the Midwest. And there are a number of um, communities in Indiana that participate in this. The idea is, is that you get physicians to hold regular walks with the public in parks. And it's a way to get physicians out into the parks in a non-threatening, very kind of informal setting, but to talk about the health of people and where people can have access to physicians just to walk with them and talk about um, their life and and just enjoy the outdoors. And it's a way then for physicians to interact with people and to promote healthy lifestyles. There are ways that you can post your, your walks on this Walk With A Doc uh, website, and there is support through that not-for-profit. Um, but there are many communities could do this on their own as well. But just that idea of getting physicians out into a park in somewhat of an organized way that people can go out and uh, have a walk with the doc and discuss things in general about life. Another is the idea of park prescriptions. Um, this is a another program that's, that is a, a national program run by a not-for-profit but it's the idea that physicians can actually write a prescription for physical activity in a park setting. There are a number of different ways that you can uh, implement this program, but the uh, city of Elkhart right now in Indiana is, is rolling out a park prescription program this summer. They are working with local physicians to provide a means for those physicians to make physical activity references to various parks. And there is some supporting activities about maybe having notepads with actual locations where their patients can go and walk and that there are facilities for them to walk. Uh, and it allows the physician to have a way to say, well, why don't you go to this park and walk a mile on this paved trail? Um, and it makes it easy for the physician to make that referral to a patient. They are actually putting in incentives and they're thinking of having some prizes. Uh, they're even thinking of supporting it with a app on a phone that can track your miles and make it easier for people to kind of track their progress in their walking journey. So that's a fun thing that Elkhart's doing. Another thing that we've seen in working with regional hospitals and health coalitions as part of our um, kind of active living promotion work is we held a workshop and this would be in Hancock County in Greenfield. And the CEO of the hospital attended our workshop for a whole day. He got very excited about this idea of creating a trails plan for Hancock County that would make it easier for people to walk and bike and be active. He came away from that meeting as well as the rest of the attendees with an action plan, which one of the priorities was to do a countywide trail plan and lo and behold, the Hancock County has a, a county health foundation that can fund these kind of things. 
the CEO got behind that and they funded um, the consulting fees to prepare this trail plan, which they have leveraged now into about four and a half million dollars of new trail development being funded by various grant programs from the state of Indiana as well as federal government. So you start to see how these ideas can blossom into real projects. And many times the spark comes from the health community and can come from leaders of local hospitals and health organizations. So we're starting to really see this happen around the state. I want to personally extend my thanks to both you and Peter for being with us today and being part of this conversation podcast. I think there's a lot going on that you've described that will be valuable to our listeners and to those that are working to improve the quality of health throughout the state of Indiana. Thank you once again. Thanks very much, Don. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.